Welcome to the Nutritional Outlook Podcast. I'm Sebastian Kravitz, editor of Nutritional Outlook Magazine. And I'm Jennifer Grebo, editor-in-chief. We are your podcast hosts. Nutritional Outlook is a multimedia publishing brand and leading information resource for manufacturers of dietary supplements, healthy foods, and natural products. On this week's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Wilson Lau, Vice President at Herbal Ingredients Supplier, New Herbs. We asked Wilson about a critical challenge many in the dietary supplements industry continue to face. When will the COVID-related logistical challenges improve for the dietary supplement industry? Let's take a quick break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Wilson. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truesterumntwk.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, we'll be interviewing Wilson Lau, Vice President of Herbal Ingredient Supplier New Herbs. Today, Wilson is answering a question many have been asking over the past year and a half. When will COVID-related logistical challenges improve for the dietary supplement industry? Thanks so much for joining us today, Wilson. Thanks for having me, Sebastian. We're very happy to have you. Uh, You've always provided us with a lot of great insights on what's happening in the industry. Uh, So to start, Wilson, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what New Herbs does? Well, I'm the third generation of my family running New Herbs Company, which is a, we specialize in organic and pharmacopoeia grade herbs from China, specifically out of China. And we have slowly expanded into other regions uh, based on our clients' needs. So, um, one project recently did was organic echinacea and turning that into an extract. But we really focus on the herbs that how they're being grown and how they're being wildcrafted to optimize the product that is made from it. So we really want to focus on the quality control, transparency, and traceability aspects of the supply chain. Perfect. Oh, okay. Well, Wilson, let's dive in. Um, There are so many ways in which the COVID-19 pandemic impacted the dietary supplements industry, as well as the world, um, in ways for our industry in ways positive and negative, Um, positive being skyrocketing sales, for instance, Um, but negative, including significant strains on industry supply chain and some very critical logistical bottlenecks. So when it comes to logistical issues like transportation and shipping, what were the main obstacles this time last year and how have things improved since then? Has anything stayed the same? You know, I, the key for the logistics and transportation is the basic unit of movement in international commerce, which is a container. And they come in different sizes and different um, setups, but basically it's a steel box, right? And we've seen them all drive on trucks, uh, large semi-trucks alongside us on the freeway. And the access to these containers was a real issue. Um, Maybe not so much this time last year, but really started to pick up steam around this time last year and entering beginning of this year. And the access to them and the ability to book them and um, the pricing of them has really increased greatly from somewhere, I think I saw a statistic recently, like 
18 months ago is roughly $2,000. And now we're at 20 something thousand dollars for containers as a 10 X increase in the last 18 months or so, which is mind boggling. You know, we, we have never seen an increase like that um, for the price of containers ever. The pandemic kind of creates a domino effect of things that happen in the supply chain, but you know, so many things happen globally and domestically. What other factors are you guys looking at that impact logistics and what are you keeping an eye out for the future? Right now, I think a lot of the focus for in the past, maybe 16, 14 months has really been on the availability of these containers, uh, shipping containers at origin. And that could be the US, Europe, India, um, China, and that's was the main focus. This sort of transatlantic or transpacific voyage portion of it. Right now, as you said, is a domino effect. Right now, we're seeing a lot of issues in that mid mile or last mile portion of it. Meaning, doesn't matter where the container, the shipping container is coming from whether it's Europe, the Middle East, Africa, India, or China, um, once it gets to the US, uh, we're seeing a lot of logistical issues due to labor shortages, warehousing, and just a basic mismatch of resources, for lack of a better word. Basically, any resource that you can think of, we have a, we have a matching problem. It's never where you need it and when you need it. One other thing that I want to mention is, although it's not a true logistics issue, uh, although it could become a logistics issue, is the world's energy crunch that we're seeing. So as you may have read in the headlines, UK is low on energy, so is uh, Germany, and China's rationing energy to certain factories and regions so that they may not be able to run their normal seven days or six days straight. Um, now they might have to run four or five days and India is having the same issue. So I think the one of the problems that becomes is, will there be electricity at these warehouses to move goods in a timely fashion? Can they meet their delivery schedules? So, so, so although not a true logistic, logistic issue, it does become part of logistics because you can't plan for it as well because you may not have as much productivity as we were planning on in your schedule. And it could eventually lead to fuel issues, which the UK is seeing, and maybe that will impact trucking and shipping. But I think it's something we should keep our eye on, um, although uh, on as an item that impacts logistics. Terrible. Um, you touched on uh, shipping costs a bit, like the cost of these containers. Um, can we talk about that a little more for a moment on shipping and transportation? Um, are these costs going to continue going up and are they likely to affect the prices of finished products? Yeah, I, they're definitely affecting the price of finished products and whether we see them in the, see them in the supermarket or the store retail level yet. Um, some prices have not changed much and other prices have changed a lot. Let me give you an example of something that I bought recently that the price has doubled before, and it's tea leaves. I was buying Thai uh, tea leaves to make Thai iced tea. And the, usually the packet was like $3 something and now it's $6 something. But if you think about it, 
when if the shipping cost goes up 10x, right? And 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 you know, it depends when you last shipped it. It could have been 4x, 5x, 3x, you know, depends on in relation to when you last shipped the item. But with something like tea leaves that is voluminous, it takes up a lot more of your container than something, let's say, like gold nuggets. I'll pick something that we all know is very dense, right? So if you're shipping gold bars in the same 20 or 40 foot container, you could fit a lot more weight than you're shipping something like tea leaves, which is takes up a lot of room. Um, so I think that's where you're gonna see a lot of this cost. The cheaper the item is, and the more voluminous it is or odd shaped it is, the more, the higher likelihood that no one can help, no matter where in the supply chain takes a piece of the pain away or in, absorbs the cost of it. They can't get fully absorbed because the shipping is almost you know, proportional to the item, the cost of the item, or sometimes even more than the item itself. So. Follow-up question to that. I mean, considering, you know, some of these, some of the increased costs are translating to end consumers. Some of it isn't, you know, I'm sure some suppliers are um, mm -hmm. eating the cost in some cases, you know, what kind of hard decisions are people making? Are, are they just kind of like deciding, okay, we're gonna, we're not going to get this. We're going to just instead sell this. What kind of prioritization is happening, um, happening in the industry? You know, what, kind of ingredients do you see kind of people um, choosing to put aside in favor of others? Yeah. I mean, if you look at some things, let's just, let's go to something else in the industry. That's very, that is ubiquitous capsules. So capsule companies are making decisions to keep their machines running as efficiently as long as possible. So they want to run the zeros, the double zeros, ones. If it's odd shaped, odd sizes, they don't want to run those capsules because they had to stop the machine, clean the machine, you know, retool it, and that's hits production. And that's one example is capsules, right? So anything that fits into like a three or two, you might have six, seven, eight, nine months lead time for something that's unique relative to what everyone else is doing. And, you know, as the pandemic began also, if you look at how hot immunities was, the ingredients and products were and are, well, that production had come from somewhere. There's only so much capacity in the system. So that capacity was transferred from some maybe less popular SKUs, um, SKUs that you know, didn't sell well, were, aren't, weren't important to the core business and transferred to the immunity SKUs. So this, I'm making up a number is to say you have the capacity to run 10,000 bottles a day at your factory. You're not gonna do some of this, some of that, and some of that. You're just gonna really focus and streamline your SKU rationalization to that so that you're just focusing on your best sellers and the things that turn the quickest. And you're seeing that across the supply chain. And if you look at, when you go to the grocery stores, you'll see less choice, um, less variety. Uh, and these are things that really comes down to operational efficiencies. And sometimes it came down to, I couldn't get that size bottle 
So I'm going to put everything in this one size bottle. I'm not going to do a 360 count, a 180 count, a 90 count. We're just going to do 180 and 90 and get rid of the 360s. So there's a lot of this kind of movement going on where we're really focused on how to not be out of stock, but also really focusing on what's the most important items in our offerings. Yeah, that's really hard. I mean, on an aside, this in no way compares, but like this weekend, I needed to get Rice Krispie treats <laughs> for something very specifically. I really needed those Rice Krispie treats for an event. And I came home, I couldn't find it anywhere. Like I went to Walmart, like two different ones on opposite sides of town. And I came home and I took a break to eat my lunch. And then I opened the news and I saw a story about the shortage of like food items. And one of them, the giant picture on the news story was of Rice Krispies. And I'm like, wait, (laughs) that's exactly what I need. So just an aside um, that this in no way compares to the pain that, you know, suppliers are feeling, but it's definitely, you know, you had these things before and you just, you know, realize they're not available anymore. And it's really jarring. But I think that's a perfect example because the consumer's pain is the supplier's pain, which is, you know, the pain is felt throughout the system from the person that is at the very beginning of supply chain to the end user is impacted. And as I mentioned earlier, there's a mismatch of resources. So you might have been able to find Rice Krispie treats possibly at some place, at some store. But then they, that store may not have, as I'm making it up at this point, may not have the juice that you wanted to buy specific to your event. You have to go to a different store to buy it. So it's also not every place has everything at the same time. And we're just so used to going in and saying, I want, you know, one of those two of these and three of these, and then I'm done and I'm out and I'm on to the next thing. So there's also people have things, but not everyone has the same things at the same place that you need. So you'll have to probably go to more stores to find everything you need on your shopping list. Absolutely. Well, if anyone has Rice Krispies, please send them to me. (laughs) Um, Do you have any advice for industry supplier or supplement companies on how to navigate these logistical challenges moving forward? Are there some who will continue to face greater challenges than others? Yeah, I think there's a lot of unpredictability in the system right now. Right now, the system, logistics system has a lot of unknowns in it. And there's currently a logjam and the logjam can get a lot worse if something pops up. I'll give you an example. If suddenly we get hit with an early winter storm and all the passes to Reno get closed down, right, then... Um, a lot of the train movement um, that goes from south to north will get impacted. Or, you know, we get an early, you know, snowstorm that shuts down the East Coast. Well, then, you know, it's going to, these things are all knock-on effects. It's the same idea if we've all been sitting in traffic and there's an accident and then the accident shouldn't have been that bad, but the next thing you know, there's another accident and now there's glass on the road and people are popping their tires and what, what should have been a 15 minute thing has all of a sudden turned into an hour to hour log jam. And that's what we're sort of facing in the logistics supply chain as well. 
it's all these extra knock-on effects on each layer, right? That is impacting it so that we're no longer efficient. I think once the system gets out of whack, it takes a lot for it to sort of become back into alignment. So that's running smoothly. So what I'm telling everyone still, as well as telling everyone last year, plan early, you know, make your commitments early and know perhaps with some certainty that although this might not be ideal pricing because of the cost of logistics, but at least having it in hand and knowing uh, it's available, working with your vendors like us and placing blanket orders so we can bring it into our warehouse and then you can, you know, call on it anywhere in the U.S. and get it within five, six days, business days, that that's going to give you a lot of predictability versus having it across the world, whether it's in India or China. It just makes a lot more sense if we sort of manage the portions that we can manage. And I really think that's still the same advice I would give people is, is place your orders, make the commitments and draw down against your blanket orders from a reliable partner so that if you sell quicker, great. If you sell a little slower, not a big issue. Um, but at least you have availability because the worst and the most costly thing is out of stocks. And being out of stock gives an opportunity for Jennifer that wants Rice Krispies now to go buy some other kind of similar treat, right? And maybe she'll love that treat so much she'll never go back to Rice Krispies. <laughs> so you'll lose a customer. There's nothing more costly than that. <laughs> Well, I may be I may be forced to do that. It may come to that. Um, so listen, going back to the question we asked at the start of this podcast, uh, with all this said and done, when do you think COVID-related logistical challenges could improve for the dietary supplements industry? What does what could the recovery process look like if we manage to mostly eradicate at some point in time COVID-19? Um, eradicate COVID-19 would be, would be great. If we can manage it, I'll be happy. Uh, I think normal would look something that we won't ever go back to what it looked like before COVID. Just because we understand that things like this can happen and we built in redundancies and safety valves and escape valves into the system. So it won't look quite like what it used to look like. But at the same time, the best hope is that the container costs will be predictable, rational, and available. And from once we get the shipment onto a boat, that the unloading timers at the port will revert down to a normal predictable period. It used to be 30 days or so, 30 to 40 days, um, depending on... Um, what type of ship and to what port and from where, right? From China, it used to take roughly 30 days from to the West Coast. And now it's taking 60 to 80 days, the same trip. So, you know, can we get back to that 30 to 40 days, you know, 30 days range? Uh, maybe we could build in a couple of days and it'd be 30 to 40 days, but that's a lot better than 80 days. I think 80 days is too long. It's almost three months um, if they have any little hiccups along the way. Do you think it could start getting better next year or is that, is it hard to say? Well, next year, depends how you, what, what do you want to say next, how you want to calculate next year? Next year could be you know, less than uh, 
a little over two months away. <laughs> Definitely not going to get better in, in the next two months. Uh, we got Christmas and then we got Chinese New Year's. And uh, so maybe a year for 365 days from now, next October, maybe. Um, I think that the other thing is that maybe it'll get better. And that's what I hope it will get better over in the next 365 days so that the lead times will be shorter. The cost will be more predictable. And there's sort of um, no surprises. There's no surprises in the system or or that effect, that impacts the whole system because that predictability is making it really hard to make commitments because what are we really paying for this item that, um, that needs to be moved from place A to B because the cost, the logistic cost is now an actual real issue um, for many items in today's marketplace. Great. Well, thanks so much, Wilson, um, for being with us today. That was a lot of great information. You know, we always appreciate hearing your thoughts on the topic. That's a pleasure talking to Jennifer and you, Sebastian. So thank you for having me and have a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much. You too. Same to you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Nutritional Outlook podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines and provide expert insights from industry leaders. Remember, you can always find us on the web at nutritionaloutlook.com, on LinkedIn and Facebook, and on Twitter at NutritionalO. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Nutritional Outlook, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editor-in-Chief Jennifer Grebo at jgrebo at mghlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.